I'm Rob Lyons, I'm the convener of the forum and I'm chairing tonight's discussion. Uh, the topic for tonight's discussion is work after the pandemic, what can office workers expect? And ever since we talked about doing this, I've seen article after article about this issue. Um, millions of office workers were sent home during the pandemic. Some are drifting back to the office, but many are not, at least not yet. But what does it mean for the experience of work if we spend more time working at home? What's the balance for workers between the joys of not having to commute and being able to work more flexibly versus losing the collective experience of work? But this doesn't matter just for employers and employees. The impact of working from home could be felt across the economy if it continues, from the viability of city centre pubs and cafes to the impact on productivity, or even whether jobs are offshored to places where wage costs are lower. So there's plenty to discuss. Before I introduce our speakers, a quick word from our sponsors. Many of, many of you will have been to our Zoom events uh, before, since we went online last spring. But for some of you, this will be your first time. And as we like to say, we may be in physical lockdown, but we don't want to be in intellectual lockdown. And we run our events free of charge throughout. So if you want to support us, please give us a donation. I know some of, some of you have already donated uh, towards tonight's event. But uh, if you can, please consider um, supporting us or even joining us. Uh, £60 a year uh, if, you've got, if you're waged or £35 a year if you're on lim more limited incomes. And you can find out all about it by clicking on the link, which my colleague Mo has just put in the chat, uh, academyofideas.org.uk forward slash support. Um, so our first two our speakers tonight uh, are both regulars at the Economy Forum and at the Battle of Ideas Festival as well. First, we have Para Mullen, who's a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development. She'll be looking at the current uh, return to work discussion with a focus on the workplace relationship between employer and employee. Uh, Para has written a very good essay in this, which is the People's Lockdown Inquirer, um, uh, which is a, uh, a project uh, undertaken by the Academy of Ideas in association with the Reclaim Party to, to just kind of capture all of, all of the things that have happened, uh, sort of like the collateral damage of lockdown over the past year or so. And Power has written about um, working life in that. So if you want to find out more about that, uh, please again, click on the link put into <laughs> the chat by, by Mo. Um, uh, that's well worth reading anyway. And I think it's a, a very good starting point for tonight's discussion. Uh, and then after Para, uh, we'll have Hilary Salt. Hilary's an actuary, and she's the founder of First Actuarial. And Hilary will be talk, examining the structure of the economy and what's in it for workers post-COVID. So Para and Hilary will talk for about 10 minutes each, and then after that, we'll open the floor up to discussion. So if I can highlight Para, and away you go. Thanks very much. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. Good evening, all. Um, as we wait for Boris to decide the terminus date for the lockdown, there is much discussion amongst organisations about the best approach to white-collar work. Do we all return to the office? Do we keep working remotely? Or do we do hybrid? The Labour Party, supported by the unions, want the government to make the default position to be able to work out of the office. I'll return to that point later. 
Whilst it is early days yet as to which approach is adopted by organizations, one fact is quite stark to me. There does not seem to be much euphoria from employees about returning to the office. Stupidly, I thought that after 15 months of lockdown, most people will be thrilled to return to the office, meet their fellow workers, most of whom they had not seen face to face for a very long time. But it seems, no, many want to stay working from home. In this introduction, I want to make three observations about the relationship between employers and employees. One is to do with intrusion. Second, the defensiveness of employers. And the third is the blurring of home and work life. None of these trends are entirely new in that they existed pre-COVID, but the lockdown experience has accelerated and in some instances magnified them. Firstly, there is acknowledgement that senior management have shown the more humane, personal, and some put it, vulnerable side of themselves to their employees. This has resulted in more intrusion into employees' private lives. Whilst even before COVID, employee welfare was a consideration for employers, this has upped a notch in the last year. Employers say they want to do more for the well-being of their employees. This includes encouraging their senior managers, to discuss the financial health of their employees. Some want to create a workplace financial well-being strategy policy. Simply put, they want employees to be open about money worries. And whilst they may acknowledge that personal finances should be the responsibility of the employee, they think it is okay for them to nudge their employees to make the right decisions. Many are looking into the perks they currently offer to their employees. Newly added perks will take into account the physical and mental well-being of employees. It will include private health care, access to online therapy. In the past, employees may have paid for yoga or mindfulness classes at work as part of general benefits, but now almost everything is seen through the prism of well-being. One example of this is that of BHP, one of the world's largest mining company, wanting to introduce policies on alcohol consumption outside work. BHP want to prohibit staff drinking beer after 9.30 p.m. and limit consumption of alcohol to four standard drinks a day while staying in their accommodation. This is not all that unusual in other companies. Whilst there is pushback on BHP's policy by unions on the basis that employees should not be treated like children, many other well-being measures are usually regarded as a good thing. I'm not so sure as it very much appears that employees, employers are crossing the line between work which employers are responsible for, and life, employees are responsible for. Allowing employers to assume more responsibility for our personal circumstances is intrusive. 
It treats me like a child that needs guidance in money matters, well-being matters, family life. It assumes I'm vulnerable and need help in every form. I would much prefer to use my own judgment and take responsibility for my own welfare. Intrusiveness can cause issues. This has not gone unnoticed by some. One senior manager warned against the potential dangers of having employees share their vulnerabilities and cautioned that employers must not use that greater understanding of the fragility of some people's lives to inform redundancy. What she's pointing to is if they assess you're always vulnerable, it could have career-limiting implications. Intrusiveness also takes another form, monitoring employees at work. This again is nothing new. But in a CIPD survey, 86% of people thought that digital monitoring will increase in the future. My second point relates to how employers are responding in this return to the office debate. Some like Goldman Sachs have asked all their staff to return to the office and also disclose if they have been vaccinated. Morgan Stanley CEO said that if, if his staff can eat out in restaurants, they should be able to work in the office. There are, however, only a small number of organizations that have requested employees to return to the office. Most are letting employees decide how they want to work and accepting that a few days a week working from home will be the new norm. Gone were the days CEOs and senior leadership took decisive action as to what their employees should do at work. The pandemic seems to bring to the surface the defensiveness of employers and their lack of confidence in their business and in managing their staff. It is perhaps not surprising that a CIPD report on responsible business had one senior manager say, I hate being a grown-up. It's a horrible job. There are nearly a thousand people whose lives I'm screwing around with. Yes, giving a lead is tough. You need courage, prudence, and have to make judgments. These abilities are, however, in short supply today. Hence, even our managers are encouraged by HR that they should admit vulnerability and seek help when needed. As I said earlier, the Labour Party is pushing the government to make the right to work flexibly as the default position. Currently, employees can request flexible working arrangements and employers make the decision. But the Labour Party is saying something different in that the right to work from home should be the default unless the employer can show that this is impossible. This would be a regressive step as it accepts that work as an inherently social process should take second place to the employee's own personal desires. This leads to my third point. 
how have employees responded to the discussion on returning to work? According to surveys, majority of employees want to work from home. They want the flexibility of planning their time, perhaps a walk in the morning, listening to birdsong, playing with their kids at a time of their own choosing. But there is a conundrum. These same people are saying they are always burnt out. Burnt out, not least because remote working has reinforced an always on culture. Another CIPD survey this month points to similar facts. People working from home found it difficult to relax in their personal time due to their job. And also that work had a negative impact on their physical and mental health. This points to the problem of further blurring the divide between work and home. The autonomy to choose flexibility may come at a price. And it is interesting that currently people seem to be willing to accept this trade-off. We'll have to wait and see how it goes or works out. I'm finishing here, but Hillary will address other reasons as why employees are reluctant to return to the office. Thank you. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Para. I'll now highlight Hillary and uh, away you go. Thanks, Hillary. That's great. Thanks. Um, so this being the Economy Forum, I did think I should start off with some statistics. So. Uh, just to remind you what the UK workforce looks like these days. So around a third of the UK workforce do professional, managerial, finance, uh, public administration type roles. Um, the other, uh, about 60% of you ignore the odds and sods, it's, it's split pretty much evenly between 20% uh, in manufacture, utilities, construction, transport, doing stuff, 20% um, in retail, food and accommodation, 20% in health, and education and those stats I think are quite interesting when you look at the question of who is working from home because I think there's a tendency certainly most of us uh, office workers to get the feeling that everybody is working from home uh, but ONS stats say 36% uh, of people did some work from home in 2020 um, so that feels you know quite low compared to you know those of us who, who imagine it's much more widespread than that it's around a 10% increase from, from 2019, but I do think it's quite different people now working from home. One big change is that a lot of the work from homers are now full-timers rather than uh, often they were, they were previously uh, part-timers. A few more stats uh, uh, to uh, throw into the mix. Um, the 2020 work from homers are paid 20% um, more than leavers, which kind of, again, you know, I'm saying leavers for people who, you know, left the house, went to work. Kind of feels like the right word to use. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, uh, work from home was paid about 20% more. So, so that, you know, that indicates that they are the more you know, professional uh, uh, workers. Um, but some interesting things, they did about six hours of unpaid overtime per week compared to about three and a half hours for the, the go out to workers. Um, they had much lower rates of sickness. Um, uh, about less than 1% compared to about 2.2% for, for others. Um, perhaps they uh, worked while they didn't feel so good from, from home. Perhaps uh, on their offs, off days, they shirked from home um, uh, when they might previously have kind of thrown a sickie. I, 
I don't actually get the uh, impression myself that people are working less hard at home and, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit. Um, over that period, April to September 2020, there was a shift in the hours that work from home was worked with people starting to work to kind of move away from office hours to starting work later uh, and finishing later compared to people uh, in offices. Uh, unsurprisingly, as I've said, the highest proportion of people working from home are in those admin, financial services, managerial, uh, information communications. Uh, 50 to 60 percent of those are home working. And again, unsurprisingly, um, geographically, London had the highest proportion working from home. Uh, Scotland, the North, Northern Ireland, uh, the lowest. Um, so what has been the effect of, of working from home? And, and I would argue we need to think quite differently about this kind of sudden um, across the board enforced working from home compared to what you might term a kind of lifestyle based decision to homework uh, in the past. So I think previously those working from home would generally have been relatively experienced workers, um, whereas now, you know, the current cohort of homework inc includes everybody, including you know, brand new starters. Uh, at an organisation. So I'm, I'm actually very sceptical about um, extrapolating any findings from those um, occasional lifestyle homeworkers to the experience of the, the whole workforce. If we're talking about things like productivity uh, of, of people um, uh, doing homeworking. There's a, a really interesting study by the, the Becker Friedman Institute at Chicago University because it's it's based on not kind of people's um, subjective view, but on <clears throat> uh, the results of analytical software analysis uh, that looks at what people were doing. Um, this is for a, a very large IT uh, business, and it indicated that employees worked around 20% longer hours, but produced pretty much bang on the same amount of work. So in other words, there's a drop in productivity of 20%. Um, and the reasons for that were a big rise in, in video conferencing, uh, how productive is that, um, and, and a big fall in focused work time. Um, there's also uh, much less coaching going on, less one-to-one -one time with supervisors, less networking. Some of the differences in experience, those with long tenure at an organisation, even those, um, even if you're low for age and experience, those with long tenure are less affected uh, perhaps kind of indicating that if you know how to get something done in an organisation, you did a lot better than somebody who perhaps had you been in an office would say to the person next to them, how, how do I do this? Um, and you don't really have that option uh, in, a, in a Zoom and Teams world. So they also showed that uh, women's productivity was more affected, even if you were just for children, um, and the productivity for, for both men and women with children was more effective than for those without children at home. And it said that communication, coordination, uh, collaboration uh, were all hampered by the widespread uh, working from home. And um, there's loads of things I would like to say, but because I've only got 10 minutes, I just want to throw some hooks in here that might maybe come up in the, the discussion. Um, why is it when employees are paying the price for falling productivity by, by working longer, uh, does it seem to be quite to be so popular with them? Um, why do employees not see that if you can do their job from anywhere, there's a real danger that I recruit people in Chennai rather than in Cheshire uh, in the future? 
Um, why do a current experienced cohort of workers not see that they have a responsibility to pass on their skills to the next generation? And that's really hard to do, not in the office. Uh, and why is it that those workers who keep saying, no, I'm fine working from home, uh, they're, they're the same workers who are posting on Instagram later about how lonely they are and about what long hours they're working. So those seem to be, you know, some of the real oddities about the situation we're in. So what about the attitude of employers? Um, there's a lot of discussion in employer circles about this idea of the talent equation uh, that says uh, your innovation and your financial success are a product of the level, the, 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 the amount of people into reaction, you know, real face-to-face -face, uh, in the flesh uh, interaction uh, and the size of the talent pool. Uh, so obviously home or remote working increases the size of your talent pool, but decreases that interpersonal reaction, whereas office working increases the reaction, interpersonal reactions, but decreases the talent pool. And I think when you, know, you look at how different employers are approaching the potential return to the office, you can see uh, they're weighing up you know, th those different uh, elements. Um, perhaps technical solutions might improve, making online interaction better. It feels like this would be the ideal time for that to happen. It doesn't seem to have done uh, so far, but maybe again, that's a, a topic for the discussion. And it is, I think, really hard uh, not to see that there's been a lack of investment in training. Um, I can't be the only person who's been kind of left to uh, sink or swim in a new world of, of Teams and Zoom and WebEx and BlueJeans um, uh, without very much uh, help and, and assistance. I thought it was also just worth bringing into the discussion the idea of uh, bullshit jobs. I don't know if people have read uh, David Graeber's uh, uh, book of, of that title, uh, but when he says that, it doesn't mean crap jobs or low paid jobs. Uh, he means uh, often high prestige jobs but ones that aren't really productive. So he defines it as a form of paid employment that's so completely pointless, unnecessary or pernicious that even the employee cannot justify its existence. Even though as part of the conditions of employment, the employee feels obliged to pretend that this is not the case. And he reflects on the puzzle that although technology has indeed freed us from the need to work solidly on the necessities of life, we've not filled that time with leisure We've filled it with pointless work. And in case anybody thinks I'm kind of judging others harshly, uh, I should say that my job is definitely largely in the bullshit uh, category. Uh, if we had a decent state pension, you wouldn't need uh, my job to exist. Um, other examples of made at work, I would say, are things like ISO auditing. Uh, Power and I realised in discuss discussing this session that we both do a bit of that. Uh, endless lawsuits uh, and armies of people supporting those pointless workers, the baristas and the dog walkers uh, of the world. And I do think that one of the things that lockdown has done is it's increased the, the proportion of pointlessness in many people's jobs, uh, all those video conferences. But I think it's also meant that the kind of distance away from the office and of, and of sharing a team outlook has made a lot of people realise um, the futility of the job they do. Um, certainly as pensions administrators we've been inundated with people asking for retirement quotes, some of those will be on furlough and they're worried about their jobs uh, but others will share openly uh, with us the fact that they're really disillusioned uh, and hollowed out by, by the job that they do and on the other hand I wanted to, to inject a little bit of uh, uh, um, positivity here, uh, we should recognise that there's been a really big increase in business startups I'm not going to 
uh, tell you any figures because the figures all seem to be massively different and completely inconsistent. Uh, some of those startups will, of course, be transitory and, and the kind of made up jobs, uh, uh, the dog walkers, the, the local uh, craft gin makers. Uh, but some are, I think, genuinely innovative and will thrive in a post lockdown world. So uh, the nano drones, the, the AI based technologies, some of the things like cement alternatives and better logistics planning. I think, you know, all that is really good stuff that we will benefit from uh, post uh, lockdown. So uh, finishing off with a, a few points on my predictions for the future. Um, I think a return to offices will be very slow and stumbling. Um, in part, that is because, as Para mentioned, employers lack the self-confidence and belief in any mission they have to insist that people return. Um, I don't think, uh, as, a, as a, an aside, that they're motivated significantly by the price of office space, at least in the short term. Uh, landlords are falling over themselves to offer uh, no-rent deals on returns to the office. I think it is much more about them being risk-averse and unwilling or unable to lead. Um, you know, their heads are filled with, what if I lose staff? What if I don't attract them? Uh, recruitment consultancies are saying now that uh, if you don't offer flexible working or even exclusive working from home, you won't recruit to, to, to roles. Uh, their work, bosses are worried about their reputation. Uh, what if they're sued for damages? What if people don't like me? You know, all these kind of like really um, uh, quite sad um, uh, ways in which I, I think uh, leaders uh, are failing to lead. And, and my experience is, is uh, as Pamela mentioned, that there's no charge back to the office from staff. Um, although interestingly those who do return do stay you know and they they uh, say they enjoy their time uh, in the office but I do think that collapsing inwards of people's horizons in lockdown does mean kind of opening them up to the bright lands of the office uh, is getting harder and harder so I don't think there's any early end uh, to working from home thank you Thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. Uh, both introductions, uh, absolutely brilliant, and really set the scene uh, for the discussion. So if you'd like to uh, ask a question, make a contribution of any description, um, you either go to the participants button and then look for the raise hand button in that box. But I think more increasingly it's under reactions. Uh, if you click on the reactions button at the bottom of the screen, you'll see uh, an option to raise hand uh, and Chrissy Daz is in there straight away. So Chrissy, what, what do you want to say? Hi, yeah, um, great introduction from both of you. I think that um, it's very important we stress um, the, the, the um, really central point about work is that we should try to uh, to hold on to what it used to be, which is you sell your time, you sell your labor time to an employer. Um, you do not sell yourself. You don't sell your heart, your soul, anything else. Um, this came home to me quite in um, quite a big way quite recently when there was that um, uh, England cricketer who was suspended from his job. It's an unusual job, but nonetheless, uh, for some tweets that he made when he was 18. Uh, and most of the people who were defending him, they did so on the on the basis that, uh, oh well, you you shouldn't really be held to account for what you said when you're when you were young and a little bit foolish, which I think is fine as an argument, but it misses the central point, which is whatever you do, 
in your own time should be nothing whatever to do with what you do uh, when you're at work, when you're being paid um, to sell your labour time. Um, I think this is a worrying trend uh, in, in wider society. And I think it also it links in because that 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 example, I think, shows how this this problem links into um, so-called cancel culture. But I think it, it also it links into identity um, as an issue in a, in, a, in a broader way as well, um, in the sense that it becomes more and more important who you are um, rather than than what you do while you're being paid to do it. Okay, brilliant. Uh, anyway, I mean, I've been working at home for quite a long time, popping into the office once a month, um, well, long before uh, the pandemic, and I can see the, the pros and cons of it in the sense that, um, you know, I don't have to commute and uh, my, my living costs are lower as a result of doing that, so I can see that advantage and I can get bits and pieces of domestic nonsense done while I'm at work but on the other hand yes it's true that I miss out on so much um, of, sort of the office conversation the little details of things um, the, the things that you somebody put it somewhere that uh, finding out about things that nobody need, knew that I needed to know it's that kind of office chat that, that um, is, is very difficult to pick up on um, just through Zoom or from the occasional te telephone call or WhatsApp group. So um, there seems to be pros and cons. I'd like to explore those a bit, but I'd also like to explore what the economic consequences of, of all this are as well. So, uh, Daniel, um, far away. Uh, yeah, just a question for both Hillary and Powell, which might be a bit unfair because it strays a bit beyond what you've talked about very thoroughly, which is just, do you have a sense of the extent to which the trends we see from the subset of the labour market working from home is similar or very different from the rest of the labour market. Because obviously, I think certainly one of you, probably both of you refer to that, that the, on the whole, it's professional middle class people working from home. And of course, it is true that you get professional middle class people, like maybe doctors is the obvious example, who are frontline workers. So it's not completely a class thing. Uh, but on the whole, it seems to be a kind of professional middle-class section of the labour market. So are the trends there maybe a more extreme form of what you get in the labour market as a whole, or is it very, very different from the rest of the labour market? Is it possible to get some sense of, of what's going on in that sense? Uh, great. Okay, I think Giovanna's struggling to ask a question. So Giovanna, if you want to unmute yourself and fire away. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, my question was very similar to that of Daniel, because, I mean, I seem to, you seem to be arguing that, that the old employers, uh, well, the employers are reluctant to, to give in to these demands for flexibility at work. And you seem to be saying that, um, that, that the employer don't have the coherence to kind of hold on to the idea that they are in control about uh, so they seem to be um, to be prepared to give in. If I understood correctly, number one, can you repeat your key? Because I'm not very clear exactly what you're saying. But but what I find a bit difficult in in understanding in what you're saying is that number one, the the UK government is financing a massive amount of research into this uh, through the Economic and Social Research Council and. 
there is a lot of analysis. They are actually saying that you cannot understand what is going on until you do a real sector by sector basis. And, and the analysis which has been undertaken so far, it seems to suggest that uh, what Para is saying about the negative, absolutely negative consequences on individuals in terms of mental health, uh, productivity, lack of interaction, blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, I totally agree with you. The majority wants to don't want to go back to work. I am, you know, I work in a university and I'm the only one in about 50 people in my office who wants to go back. So there is for me that reality. And it seems to me that uh, I think you need a bit to be more subtle, like Daniel is suggesting, to think who really are those people who want to be, basically work for home forever? Aren't they perhaps the upper echelon of more like the people who have managerial work or have been in a, com in a company or in a university or whatever for a long time? You know, we're talking the upper middle classes who are trying to protect their interest, you know, because they feel in a stronger position, because some of them also, they have maybe negotiated something. So I think, I think, although I tend to agree with what you're saying, I think you have to be a bit more subtle about the sectors and also some employer, for some employers, creativity, teamwork is absolutely fundamental. They're going to fight for it because some employers are not stupid. They know that the real value they create is through creativity and teamwork. So I think, you know, some of, some of your key arguments, I tend to agree, but you have to be very more specific about the sector and more sensitive to all the research which is going on. I think it's going to be in different sectors. Uh, and as I said, I, I, I just wanted to make that point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ian Stewart's just asked me to ask a question as well to Hilary Ampara, which is about whether this creates a two-tier society between those who work from home and those who can't work from home. Um, what what is the impact of that? Um, Jonathan Grant wants to come in with a, a point as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I've listened with great interest to everything that's been said so far, and I I, I speak as well as someone who's being you know, find the whole subject fascinating. I speak as an employer uh in uh a uh, uh white collar uh, professional uh practice uh where uh what i've observed through lockdown and interestingly i've had sort of sort of four seasons in a year or four seasons in a day I've, from from when lockdown started i've had to deal with the managing aspect of people who've performed well people who've performed not so well people who've commence their maternity leave, um, announce their maternity leave during lockdown and, and, and having to train people to, to step up into the role of the, uh, the people, uh, the, 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 the woman who was maternity leave. But what I've observed is not so much uh, deficiencies in staff, because staff who were less than ideal during lockdown were actually less than ideal before lockdown in reality. I would say much of the problems that we're talking about are not so much the faults of the employees, but actually, and, and I see this looking at my peers, the faults of managers and employers who bear at least equal responsibility in inefficient and bad management of people who are either choosing or forced to work from home. I believe it's placed more of a burden on people I believe it has exposed deficiencies in people's management and employing skills great okay thank you I'm going to take Helen and James and then I'll 
come back to uh, Para and Hillary. So, Helen. Uh, yeah, I'm also speaking more as an employer um, and I'm in my office, um, I'm at work um, and I'm here with one of my other employers and there's no staff here, it's just us. So um, I think we kind of epitomise what it's like to, um, actually that's not fair, there's one member of staff here, but you know, an office which normally has uh, quite a lot of people in it. I kind of experience it. I'm, I'm very interested in what Hillary and Para said. I'm, I, I experience it slightly differently. And um, it may be just because I'm in the thick of it, which is that I find that um, certainly where, you know, talking amongst other employers, uh, bosses, I think people are desperate to get people back to work. I think, you know, the reason we have offices is because we think that it is a, arena for creativity, for collaboration, for the sort of intangible things that Rob was talking about, which make for a more um, uh, fun and lively and creative team. I'm, I, I don't feel that people are skiving at home. I think everybody's working very hard. And so it's, I'm not trying to get people back because I want eyes on them. I want them back because I think we'll be a better company if we have people at work. Um, and having everybody disparate, I feel, has, has done, you know, some real damage. But I feel the, the impulse of people not wanting to come back is I feel what's happened is that employees have really shifted their priorities in terms of work-life balance. Um, and that a lot of employees are now elevating um, life over work. Um, and so, you know, you see a lot of uh, this isn't my, my, my work, but you see a lot of people in America who were, you know, were in pretty terrible jobs and they've just left them. They're like, there's just no point working in this kind of way. And so they've just left them or, um, you know, people have prioritized, I mean, silly things like, you know, they've got a dog during the pandemic and they like spending time with their dog. And so they no longer want to go on deployments. You know, I mean, they want to go and do, they want to just spend time at home. And so, I feel that the sort of relation, it's kind of made this fundamental shift between the relationship between employer and employee, which isn't just from an employer's reluctance to give a lead. It's also that there is, you know, because I think there are quite a lot of employers who really would like people to come back to the office and, you know, are leading by being in the office, making encouragement for people to come here, trying to organise exciting team meetings, all of that. But there is just a, a sense of, I mean, perhaps to put it crudely, not not entitlement, but there's a there's a there's been a fundamental shift in the relationship between employees and employers, and I feel that is probably really nice for employees, but it has fundamentally changed the nature of work, and so I'm seeing it more in that way, um, and I think it is going to be quite difficult to recreate, but not just recreate to, to create sort of collaborative teams for quite some time um, and I think that I mean I'm you know I'm all for hybrid work all of this but I think there's sort of general reluctance to put work first and not to put yourself first is something that has been quite a big change. Mm -hmm. Very interesting thanks very much James Woodhouse. You're on mute James. Sorry good to be muted. Uh, yeah, fab introductions, fab contributions. Um, just from what Helen has said, I mean, 
you know, the gravity of the problem is that nowadays, uh, not the current contributors accepted, people so often, especially the middle class, begin, well, it works for me. And then that becomes a whole theory for society. So that we see the sort of Thatcherite atomization of experience has 30 years has led to, 40 years on, has led to sort of individual impressionism about this problem, which trumps theory, um, you know, statistics, uh, or anything like that. It's just kind of subjective. Uh, and also to do with that is a completely subjective definition of productivity. People don't understand what it is in real world, and then they'll let go eulogize it in the working from home world uh you know i'm so much more productive now they say but what does productivity mean you know they mean their output is up but all, as uh, colleagues have said their hours are up and when we go that a bit further on that um we could say even worse than what helen has said i mean are people more indolent now are young people more indolent is it not just entitlement but laziness and uh you know of course Critics will round on us and say, James, you know, Protestant work ethic, work ethic, all to do with capitalism. Are you backing that? At that moment, I do back uh, all of that because the laziness is really growing. Just a little footnote for Helen and um, wellness fans. There is some evidence that American corporations have adopted wellness in order to lower health costs. Because if you've got a well staff, then you don't have so much insurance in the U.S. system, whereas in Britain, you just go off to the NHS. Uh, I just wondered if Helen in particular could um, comment on that. May I move on, Rob? I'm sorry to make one or two points, but is it allowed or I can come back? Okay, you're far away. Um, well, the latest development, which I've picked up some traction on in, in uh, tweets, is that a, a city fund manager has built an app where your employer will be able to track your energy use at home and therefore your carbon footprint at home. And this, you know, really is a new departure. I think it highlights one thing that uh, I quite agree with Hillary's dissing of the economic explanations. You know, the discussion on real estate, pretty boring. Uh, and the, the parallel discussion on um, how much will they save in utilities, uh, also pretty boring surveillance of you know my lights and my electric cooker uh, really is a new a new development and i think what we're going to see is to the extent that hillary is right i thought you put it very boldly and rightly hillary um to the extent that working from home is here to stay uh you know how long before the occupational health people come into your home and say that desk isn't right and they may well be right that it isn't right, but I worry more about them uh, coming, you know, into my home. Just to conclude, um, after that occupational health point, you know, how do we argue that, um, you know, the right to return is, uh, you know, or not the right to return, just a return to work is good. Everybody will say, well, look, you know, the office, bleh, Commuting, ugh, although commuting is not really to do with work, you know, that, the fact that commuting is a, a sauna on wheels is not the fault of the office or even of working from home. Um, so how do we argue, look, we, we favour 
the return to work because of all the uh, I'm in favour of it myself. I just want to anticipate the opponents. And connected with that is what's wrong with the state in France and Spain um, enforcing the right to switch off? Because uh, that's, you know, that also looks progressive, doesn't it? Um, my own position is that the office is uh, as oppressive for all different reasons and has always been as oppressive as working from home. It's always elided personal and private life now more than ever and the the apogee of this is really the hybrid office because it's in the hybrid office where you're working anywhere basically uh and spending a lot of time scheduling it or where you'll be and who you'll meet that you lose sort of perspective about the distinction between private and public life that isn't economics it's the most important thing about this whole debate Okay, I'm going to leave James Matthews and Phil Mullen hanging for a moment because I want to bring Para and Hillary in to respond to things. So, Para, what any thoughts? Um, just a couple of uh, responses. Uh, Daniel's question. I think the people working from home are primarily managerial. Um, they come into, I've had it down, professional managers, knowledge workers, uh, even clerical people, data processing jobs. So I think, and I think Hillary actually, uh, yeah, she financed people. So in the main, they are white collar workers and they're the ones who after lockdown, you know, went straight home and are now quite reluctant to come back to the office. And I do think that it will, we will be creating a two tier kind of society, if you like, where some people have to be working because they have no choice and have another choice even during the 15 months, while other, well, the middle classes uh, who are in these positions are happy to stay at home. I don't actually think it's because people are lazy or whatever. I think, uh, you know, I think Helen um, alluded to, yes, some of them have thought about their life and made certain particular choices, if you like. Uh, but what puzzles me, I guess, is that all the stats show that working from home, people want to work from home, but actually in reality, they're working harder and longer hours and trying to juggle a lot more things. But in their heads, they think that's all right. That is a choice that they have chosen. Perhaps that's how they uh, look at it. So when James talks about the right to disconnect, for instance, which France and Ireland have implemented, and it is another discussion that's going on in Europe, um, uh, I'm not so sure whether that will in itself change things, because what happened in March 23rd was that people were told to go and work from home. The work as in the content of work didn't really change. It was almost, it was a lift and shift, go back to home, work from home. Um, and people now have to still deliver the same amount of output, um, but they're choosing to juggle their time, which means even if you have a right to disconnect, you're going to find that most people, because they probably believe in delivering something which is quality and whatever, uh, will probably work round the clock to do that, which for me means that they're going to be more, um, their mental well, you know, they're going to more uh, cry out that their health is being impacted, 
uh, you know, uh, mental uh, well-being is going to be impacted. So it's almost like something that I haven't quite worked out how people are going to respond in six months time when they, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, all the trends, if you like, as to what is going to happen. Um, I leave it there, I think, for the moment. Okay, Hilary, anything you want to come back on? Yes, um, so so word we've not mentioned so far is government. Um, and clearly in, in the UK, you know, the, one of the big barriers to, to any big return is at the moment we are still in a, a situation where government uh, guidance is that people should work from home if at all possible. So, you know, I, I, there's, there's certainly in part, there's a, 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 a fear from uh, employers to, to push any um, uh, widespread return to the office on the basis that it just would not be uh, in accordance with the guidance. Uh, so it would have been interesting had that guidance gone uh, uh, this week. Um, we, it will be interesting on the, the 19th of, of July to see whether that does mean any kind of step change in the way that, that employers uh, approach this. Um, I, I do think that it's, it, it is a case that employers don't have the confidence to, to insist on a, an across-the-board return. I mean, there, there are some employers who've done that, um, People know the uh, Eddie Stobart, who are the people who run the vans. You know, they have a big admin centre in Manchester. They've just got everybody back in, um, you know, no hybrid working, no nothing. Everybody's just back. Uh, and, it, uh, you know, the, the reports I get from, from people who work there is, you know, it's going pretty well. And, and people are actually pleased to be back, even though there was quite a, a, a big um, uh, concern uh, that people didn't want to go back when they were when they were first uh, told about it because I do think there's an extent to which people do crave leadership in this and, and they're not getting anywhere any, any leadership and I think that's part of the reason why people are uh, a little bit disoriented and um, on Helen's point I, 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 this fundamental shift I, I, I kind of reiterate some of the things that, that Paris said that it kind of it doesn't feel like this is a shift of power to employees when they effectively are paying the price by working longer hours um, to, to deliver the same outputs, you know, it, it, and, and getting paid the same, you know, they're not getting paid any extra to do that. So it kind of feels like it's not a shift of power to, to um, um, employees. Um, I think the, um, the, the kind of things that, that do work, that, that, that don't work well in a, um, a, a remote basis, I think people have mentioned some of them. So performance management is really hard. It's hard in the office, it's harder remote. Um, training and development of people, um, really hard to do. You know, you get a brand new graduate uh, straight out of college and you've got to do everything from, you know, health and safety induction uh, to teaching them how to do the job. You've got to do all that uh, over a, a remote link. And that is, is really hard, uh, not just for them, but for the, the people doing the training as well. And I, my experience is that, that just everything takes a bit longer to get over the line. And it's maybe just because you don't see colleagues. So, you know, you don't get that little, you know, reminder in the corridor. Have you done that yet? You know, kind of thing. So, so everything does take longer to do. So I think there are some, some real barriers. And I do think that's why a lot of employers would like to see a return to the office, but don't quite have the, the confidence uh, to, to, to push that. Probably stop there.
Okay, great. Thank you very much, James Matthews. All right. Hey, so uh, thanks everyone. Um, great introductions. Um, so first of all, I would just say, I think it is in a way too early to tell where this is all going because I think a lot of this is, first of all, a very much a mindset of let's just get through this. Like, you know, almost wartime, we just have to get through this, get through the end, you know. And there was almost a very low expectation. There was almost an expectation in the beginning that this is going to be incredibly difficult to do. And then it became response was, oh, we're actually managing. We're actually, it's okay. And so that kind of psychologically gave this effect of this could, we can do this. Whereas I think what we'll find is that when life gets more broadly gets back to normal as we go through, this will feel like kind of, I think, like an old thing, you know, the whole work from home thing. Um, furthermore, I think what's really underestimated is to the extent to which the success of remote working is built on years of prior working together relationships. And that's underestimated. It's just seen as, oh, okay, right? I can, I can Zoom with Rob every day. And we do fine. Well, you know, maybe it's because I've actually worked face to face with Rob for for 10 years and, and therefore we know how each other work. You find, I mean, just anecdotally, I'm finding that some of the companies that brought on people during the pandemic having trouble one one side or the other is not happy with that. So the other thing, the other point I want to say is around the class divide, because I think this is is really quite interesting on this whole thing. Um, I, when I've heard from a, a number of like corporations, so is a kind of new model being brought in of, of differentiating between there's a group that have to be full-time in person all the time. That might be the manufacturers, that might be the warehouse people, that might be the office workers who actually make sure the office is, you know, running. And then it, there's another group which is allowed professionals, managerials that are allowed to be on hybrid. And they're expected to come in maybe three times a week, maybe you get the choice of which three days, um, but you're gonna be there part of the time and, uh, and, and you're gonna be on call otherwise. And then the third group is totally remote. And there's a lot of like this, like kind of over-optimism about, oh, we're gonna be recruiting these incredible people now that live in Timbuktu and, you know, they, they're just so talented and we're gonna be able to, but, but that group is gonna be limited to the ones that you have to get approval for that and, and really prove that this, this person and this, this type of employee. I mean, I think the thing is, is that that just creates this kind of, you know, just re, I guess we already, you know, there is already this class divide in this thing. And it just will kind of, to the extent that this continues, will really make it seem like you've just got different classes of, of, of people and that people, you know, some will, you know, some resentment here and there probably of, of how this works. Um, I saw a statistic that in the U.S., if you're if you have, do not have a college degree, which of any kind, which is like two thirds or more of the country, you only work only more than 80% never worked from home the whole time of the pandemic. Um, and that means the other 20% of this group may, may, may have worked most of the time, you know, at work, but, but, you know, uh, in no time. So 
it's very and you know there's been some kind of funny reactions to all these like newspaper stories about well what are you going to wear now that you're going back to work and it's like uh my uh uniform my overalls my you know like it's like the same thing i've been wearing for the last year and a half you know because it's like it's just such a it's like it's it just really advertises the class differences in such such a stark way it's 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 uh you know it's it's very interesting in this point and last quick point is just i think the well-being stuff is really important which was both um para and hillary mentioned uh i think employers just open themselves up to problems when they they're like it's one of these classic over over promise under deliver i mean i think they're you know my my sense is that employers don't really want to monitor what's going on but it's almost like you know you're offering you know we say we care and now now we have to follow up on it so oh well what does that lead to so anyway leave it there great thank you very much yes somebody said on twitter uh, i don't know exactly who said it first but that the, there was no lockdown it's just that uh, middle class people went into hiding and working class people brought them things I thought that was a pretty good uh, description of what happened. Uh, JJ Charlesworth, it was. Yeah, I think it was JJ. Phil uh, Mullen. Thanks, Rob. Um, I agree with what um, Jamie just said, that when it comes to working out what's exactly going to happen, it's it's too early to say, really. And and that's the predicting side of it is probably not, not is the least interesting aspect of this discussion. I think, though, there are three... Uh, discussions going on at the moment which uh we can draw you know important things out of there's a discussion about office work itself and how things may or may not change the discussion about why employees are reluctant to go back to work and there's a discussion about uh, the employers from the employer's perspective and i, I want to focus mostly on the, on the on the third but i think on the office work side itself and what's changing i would just put in the caution that uh the idea that working from home is uh problematic, which I think it is in, in, in essential ways, shouldn't uh, detract from the point that office work pre-pandemic uh, didn't have a lot going for it either. You know, there are a lot of problems in the nature of office work itself, which uh, I think have been evaded for a long time. I mean, Hillary referred to this one in the discussion about bullshit jobs, and I'm not saying every office job is a bullshit job, uh, and nor are they all professional jobs either in the sense of, of senior management jobs. You know, there are a lot, of, a lot of office jobs, but the nature of office work, it's, it's, it's fulfillingness, it's uh, purpose, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's effectiveness and stuff long preceded the pandemic. So we, we have to caution that in terms of saying how, how bad things are with people working isolated at home, although I think it is a problem. Secondly, on the employer side, no one's really talked about it a lot, but you, you, I don't think you can explain why employees, why, why workers are so reluctant to go back without situating it in the context of the general you know, culture of fear that's been whipped up by uh, the government and by, by politicians and by the media, which, uh, as we know, in Britain anyway, uh, you know, Johnson was surprised at how effective it is. And you can see many different ways in which this has been quite uh, openly played upon to, uh, uh, you know, to keep people locked down. It's a form of social control in, in, in a way. And I think, therefore, the reluctance of people to go back to work has to be seen in the context of that broader uh, sense of uh, vulnerability and, 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 and anxiety 
and a fear of risk, which has been uh, uh, exaggerated and elevated by the uh, by the uh, pandemic and the pandemic lockdowns generally. So uh, I have to situate it there. The third discussion then, which I do want to spend, if I can, a little bit of time on, is on the, the, the perspective of the employers, because I, I'm sure Helen's right, I'm sure she knows people and uh, certainly those that make it into the media, the bosses that make it into the media tends to be the ones who are saying, I want people back at work. But certainly in Britain, it may be a bit different in, in, in America where Helen's being from, the, the majority, you'd say the silent majority of, of employers are acceding to these, the, 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 the discussion about it's right for people to be uh, allowed to stay from home um, and to allowed to continue to work from home. That's sort of what, what Para described as the, the sort of default position that the Labour Party is suggesting. I think that's where most employers are, are, are coming from at the moment. And in that sense, I think it's, again, important to see this in the broader context uh, of what Hillary talked about as a loss of confidence, what Para and Hillary talked about as the defensiveness of employers. Because I think to understand why the majority of employers are going along with this, some would say, you know, capitulating to this state of affairs of people wanting to uh, continue the way things were, uh, to see that in the context that business leaders generally over the last few years have uh, drifted into seeing their social purpose, their social activity, uh, in which I would say, you know, the, uh, a responsibility for their employees' well-being is part of that, that they prioritise that more than their day job of running a business and, uh, you know, producing goods and services more effectively. So the whole, you know, social responsibility, social activism side of, of uh, uh, which has become embedded in business life, I think that's what is guiding uh, this uh, 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 sort of yeah, defensiveness, this, this inability to give, to, 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 to give a lead. I mean, just to give an example of that uh, 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 and validating the point that most employers, at least in Britain, uh, are going along with this uh, status quo of people being at home, um, uh, was a survey that the Office of National Statistics did last month where it asked the employers why they were... Uh, intending to make working from home a permanent way of a permanent way of operating and what it sort of drew out i think is that this is seen as some sort of panacea some sort of solution to all the manager's problems so uh, uh not surprisingly given what we've heard from from hillary and para they um about four out of five of the employers said the reason they were doing it was because they wanted to improve the well-being of their employees. Okay, leave that. That's that indicates that sort of uh, a focus on them taking responsibility. They think for 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 making work a nicer, more caring thing for their employees. But they also said that uh, uh, half of them said that the reason was because they thought it would improve productivity. Which, if you think about it and think about what Hillary said, you know, there's no evidence at all that this has improved productivity. In fact, what evidence there is is that it's detracted from it. But it's indicative, and there was another question also, another reason given that was that it would solve their problems of recruiting talent. You know, that they're somehow seeing working from home, this thing that's been imposed upon us all completely uh, artificially um, by the, uh, the, the lockdowns, they see this as the solution to their problems. So rather than deal with their problems, they're saying, Productivity will be resolved by this. Talent will be resolved by this. You know, our ability to, uh, you know, have happy employees is going to be resolved by this. And so I think what the discussion with the employers reveals is that sort of evasive evasion and avoidance uh, of dealing with problems and just sort of grasping at straws here. So I think those are the sort of things that we need to draw out. What these 
this discussion rep- expresses itself in a more magnified way of some, uh, I think, some 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 quite problematic things. Uh, and I think that aspect need, uh, it, it, we should be pursuing uh, in the context, as as uh, as James uh, Woodhausen said, that is this blurring. Uh, you know, the political problem of blurring of of home and work is uh, the, the the basis on which we should be challenging what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I really take your point about the the failings of office work, but then how things could be even worse. So a friend of mine uh, lost his job just before the lockdown and ended up working for Tesco call centre from home. I mean, if call call centre work is bad enough, regimented, high-pressured work, but to have to do it from your spare bedroom or even just your bedroom, um, as he had to, I mean, just really puts the tin lid on things as well. Um, Giovanna, you wanted to come back in. Uh, you're on mute again, sorry. I would like to take a bit of a different point of view from what Fields just said, because you see your argument that basically employ, uh, employers are, are just don't have the guts to, you know, to, to basically take a lead, etc. I mean, I am a bit more suspicious because this trend of working from home, you've got to remember that it takes place in a context of digitalization. Of, uh, of society that has been increased by the, uh, by the COVID-19. And digitalization means not just working from home, introduction of artificial intelligence, uh, new way of working, and employers are very well aware of these trends. And as my boss told me, if you carry on, if people carry on saying that I want to work from home, like Hillary just said, why is that job necessary? Why can't that job be outsourced? And because the trend, I was talking to a professor of artificial intelligence, the statistics in artificial intelligence tells you that most of the job of the middle classes, you know, people who work as accountants or people who work even lecturers in university, these jobs are going to change in a few years' time because artificial intelligence is going to take over them. And so, you know, you got, I mean, I'm suspicious and I, I tend to be more with what James was saying, but maybe this is a temporary what we're looking at is a temporary uh, situation, an exceptional situation because of the exceptionality of what we're living in. And the employers, maybe they're a bit uh, not taking the lead right now, but they're going to gain out of all of this. I, I, so I, I think we, you know, we just have to be, we have to see the contradiction in place. Okay, well, of it. And yeah, I was really interested in something that Hillary said right at the beginning. She posed this question, why is it that experienced workers are um, not seeing a sort of duty or responsibility to support those who are less experienced and the implication being older and younger employees and that's something that's kind of um, struck me throughout this pandemic is you know I have heard people talk about the fact that they've had new starters during lockdown it's been incredibly difficult to train them other people have referred to that but there's another sort of trend that's been exacerbated by lockdown and that's all the woke stuff. And if you look at what's happened today with the Royal Academy um, crawling back on, on their decision um, with, with regard to Jesse Duval and what happened previously at the New York Times as well, there was a real generational gap between older people and how they see sort of woke ideology and how younger people see it. And those sort of conflicts between generations can often 
um, be ironed out in the workplace. You're forced to spend time with people. Sometimes you don't like them very much, but it's actually quite a good kind of disciplined thing to have to go and get along and, you know, uh, work with people you don't necessarily I like all my colleagues by the way just in case anybody's <laughs> wondering um, but you know that is that you know that's one of those things that you learn how to be an adult you learn about generational it keeps you young if you're older it gives you more experience and it teaches you how to be a senior worker if, if you're just starting out in life so um, I'm just kind of curious to ask what Hillary and Para think about that I mean I think Chrissy talked about um you know this lack of social solidarity that's perhaps pervading society anyway in the collapse of horizons we talked a lot about crisis of leadership and helen referred to you know perhaps younger people having this sense of entitlement so i think i mean notwithstanding all the points about you know we can't predict what's going to happen this could lead to a, a greater fragmentation between the generations couldn't it if if people aren't um sort of <laughs> force isn't the right word but you know encouraged to kind of work in a multi-generational um environment which is the office quite often okay i'll bring Farah and hillary back in again for um further thoughts and then we'll just have a final round of uh, comments so para anything you want to um, throw okay. into the discussion i agree with the point that um one of the james has made about um how difficult it is uh, to have recruitment and onboard people if everyone continues to work from home. Certainly the last uh, 15 months have shown and a lot of firms have recruited people. And it is the case that, uh, you know, they have found it very, very difficult to bed them within the culture of the company. Um, and it is the case that if you've been with the company for 10, 15 years, it's much easier to work from home, pick up uh, everything and run with it and that kind of leads me to the point that more the question that more is uh, asking about the intergenerational uh, the gap if you like uh, um, I certainly agree that it, that kind of generational gap is better um, 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 dealt with in the office uh, because you know people are there um, and they have to get on and you have the older generation showing the ropes to the younger one, which uh, is the same with the recruitment and onboarding experience. Uh, so I think it's a valid point. Whether everyone at home is reluctant uh, to be committed and everything else um, remains to be seen, if you like. Uh, I, in that sense, I agree with the people who say it's much, much too early to really say, this is how it's uh, going to kind of plan out. Um, one other thing I wanted to uh, make the point, I mean, it's just to throw in really for discussion is some of the readings that I read about why people don't want to come back to the office. Uh, there was an interesting um, um, uh, point by um, a psychologist, I think, uh, or somebody who's uh, looking at organizational behavior. He was making the point that um, it's very difficult, even when people come into the office these days, to really form teams and bond with people in a constructive way. Because of the way work is organized, very much 24 hours global, people are thrown into different teams all the time. So the amount of time they spend in getting to know people within even their teams is limited. So people's experience of it even when they are in the office, is that work is very shallow and the relationship is very superficial. 
And that, in some ways, he said, could point to the fact that, you know, it's kind of equivalent to you working from home. Even if you're in the office, you're having to only spend a bit of time with other people. So if you work from home, it's the same thing. So he was giving that as one of the reasons as to why people are reluctant uh, to uh, perhaps come back to the office because no big deal, if you like. Um, I'll leave it there. Uh, great, okay, Jagdish has been waiting for a little while. Uh, you're on mute, Jagdish, I don't know. Right. Okay. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yes, I can't see you, but I can hear oh. you. No, it's not, not, I haven't got very good lighting here, so um, uh, if you can just kind of bear with me. Um, there are quite a few points people made, and I thought, uh, you know, I kind of made a lot of notes, but I don't know whether I'm going to be able to address all of them. I think one of the points which one of the speakers made, which I think is really important, is that when we talk about this, we talk about employers as if it's one big block of employers out there or workers. We tend to assume the kind of work or professions that we are probably more familiar with. But I think it, it's better to approach this thing with sector by sector analysis, as I think somebody mentioned. You know, whether it's office workers, and it doesn't apply to all office workers. Then you've got, you got other people, manual workers. You know, you've got factory workers. You've got bus drivers. You've got all these people. Many of those will know, will if they're listening to this debate, they want to know what, what we're talking about. Because a lot of this stuff relates to people who are kind of primarily office-based or who work with computers and so on. And um, I think it's, it's, it's uh, and I think it's good to do that sector-by-sector sector analysis. I think because of the turbulence that has come in, I think it's been a substantial, you're still going through a turbulent period. But before lockdown, if an employer wanted to bring certain amount of changes in terms of, I know if, when I worked in local government, there was a lot of talk about, you know, uh, work-life balance and trying to get people to work from home a bit more. And employers were trying to kind of encourage people to take a day uh, work from home, then didn't have a clue about how to manage the work, how to manage the performance. So people just basically did very little when they went home. They didn't work from home. It was just like, you know, did nothing at home. Um, but pandemic, I think uh, since that's come in, it's, it's introduced a substantial kind of change. And a lot of employers, I think, are capitalizing on, on all of that or will begin to capitalize on, on the pandemic as an excuse to kind of um, introduce quite a lot of uh, radical kind of uh, changes in work uh, environment. And I think office workers, it's never going to be the same again. I think people mentioned artificial intelligence. They mentioned, uh, you know, the, some of the, well, when, for example, a lot, of, well, a lot of employers, the accommodation costs, the cost of utilities, furniture, all of these things add up to quite a bit, which affects your bottom line and it affects your competitiveness uh, and your profitability and so on. And they've got options now under the cloak of, uh, trying to be lovely to the workers and getting them to work from home and so on, they've got the chance to really kind of have a, a substantial but a short-term impact on the profit line. And I think a lot of them are going to, if they haven't realized it already, they will do, and they will try and get a lot more out of their employees uh, by getting them to work at home as opposed to coming to the office, which is a lot more costlier to the employers. So I think, but I'm not going to say much more, except that I think it's a seismic shift. I think the... Uh, we're still going to a period of metamorphosis and we will see what comes up. I think every sector is going to be affected to some degree or another, but office work will probably never be the same again. Uh, I know Para and a couple of other people are, you know, 
when you work to all your life in offices, you can't imagine things being different. But the change, I think, is is now effectively is going to be a permanent change. It's just a question of how it settles in. But under the cloak of pandemic, I think a lot of employers are, are being a bit naughty and getting away with quite a lot of uh, getting quite a lot of changes introduced into the work environment, which eventually the market will shift and we'll adjust to uh, and it'll settle somewhere down the line. But I think it, we've been through quite a, a big change. You know, we're never going to go back again, I think. Um, Hillary, did you want to come in? So I skipped past you. Um, uh, anything you want to say just now? Or I can just bring you in at the end. Can I just say a couple of things? Uh, yeah, on, uh, ongoing uh, um, themes. So, so the intergenerational one, I think, is 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 really interesting because I I hear what Mo says about you know offices used to be about forced mixing of of, of generations, but I, a lot of that has gone now. You know, so. You know anything that people you know might have been familiar with about offices of the past with the Friday drinks and stuff like that. Most of that has gone uh, already. So and, and that's not pandemic related. That that is because you know offices had already changed a lot. And, and I think it's right to say that relationships in the office are much are much less um, uh, robust relationships than, than than they would have been at, at one point. But I think there's the, the, the issue for, for young graduates who, you know, perhaps are one year's experience or they've been recruited during the pandemic, it's a really difficult life for them. So the choice they have, certainly the choice our, our grads have is, you know, they carry on working from a, a pokey little flat that they're in, maybe, you know, working on the bed, or they go home to mum and dad. Um, and the vast majority of them have gone home to mum and dad. Um, and to me, you know, that's that's another reason why this is, is such a sad situation, because we've got a whole generation of, of young people who should be, you know, creating their life uh, away from home in their, their first job. And, and they're effectively, you know, been uh, forced back to to uh, the parents uh, bedroom, you know, and their, 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 their old bedroom at their parents house. And it's just it's very weird to see them in that situation. And. You know, I think it is actually quite hard to perhaps trust to say it's hard to take them seriously is a bit too too tough. But it, it you know it, it does make you wonder about you know whether you would feel confident sending them out to to see a client on their own when uh, they've just you know run home with their with their tail between their legs and you know so so I, I do think there are some real issues on, on intergenerational stuff. Just very quickly on health and safety. Health and safety is actually quite interesting because. Um, to date, employers have, have effectively been able to opt out of their duty to make sure that people are in a, a, a good setup at home in their, their, their home office. Um, but, but that's going, that opt out is going soon. And, and that, that means that employers will, you know, once again, have to say, well, if you're working from home, you do have to do uh, an assessment of your, your workspace. Um, and in terms of the, the, you know, employers being very wary of taking risk, I think that's that's going to be quite an interesting one to see uh, how employers adapt to the, the reintroduction of, of health and safety. But I think that, you know, the bigger health and the safety thing and the biggest thing that people are talking about is the effect of all this on mental health. And we haven't really talked about that whole, you know, mental health uh, strand of this discussion, but it really is a big one. There are lots of people ironically the same people who want to carry on working from home who are arguing really strongly that this is uh, you know really problematic for their for their mental health 
we'll stop yeah. there. Great. Okay. So final call for any contributions. I've got Nico and Sandra, and then I'll ask Par and Hillary to, to sum up. But if you want to join in the discussion as well, please put your hand up. So Nico. Um, I'll refer people back to a previous Academy of Ideas social policy forum back in the strange days of September last year, before there was a vaccine and all the rest of it on working from home. And it's probably worth watching that discussion again. Um, but for now, I, I think there is one sector which really is seriously embracing working from home, and that's the uh, uh, so-called sector, um, where many companies, so it's mentioned Twitter in the uh, introduction as well, but many more companies, particularly where they're hiring engineers who are very highly sought after and highly paid and so on, you know, really are essentially uh, you know, we talked about the idea that people are beholden to employees as employers, and that really is the case in that sector. Uh, and you know, they're basically prepared to hire people almost on any terms, working from anywhere. Uh, and there might be something specific about the software engineering, which is, you know, focused, not always very collaborative um, kind of activity, which facilitates that. So I think that that's worth looking at. Um, and also, I mean, this is more a phenomenon in the US than UK, but you know, people really are moving to other places. You know, they decided that the big cities are not the places to be for their families, for their quality of life and so on. And um, the Future Cities Project had a, an event with uh, Maria McDonald from Scranton. People will know where Scranton is, of course, in Pennsylvania, um, which has become from being a dead end Rust Belt city, a very vibrant city where people have moved because the quality of life is good and because they can work remotely. And when people are doing that, they're not going to be employed by a, you know, North uh, Western Pennsylvania employer, employed by someone in a big city. So I think the work from home thing there will really uh, stay. Uh, and another area we can discuss particularly, which is not working from home or an office, but working from third spaces. And, you know, kind of like Regis and WeWork and so on, might have uh, a new life as places where people can work collaboratively with their colleagues, but not in their head office. Uh, and that's the advantages of being close to home, but also being able to collaborate and the advantages that Hillary and others have described. Uh, and I just wanted to pick up on two things. Hillary said, technical solutions might improve making online interaction better, but that doesn't seem to have happened. My God, Zoom has had one upgrade in the last 15 months. And that was to allow you to have a beret on uh, when you're in a call and to move the fucking participate menu, excuse my language, so that Rob has to describe where it is every time he hosts a meeting. So that's how far we've got. And, you know, it's going to be even more of a challenge when we've got working from office, people working from in the office and from home, because how do you combine people in a real space with people on video? Now, I know there are solutions to that, but not really being discussed uh, very widely. Uh, and as to training, I mean, training is parlous enough in most organizations anyway, um, being close to non-existent because everything is uh, self-evident and uh, user-friendly. Uh, but when you're working from home, you can't even lean over and ask a colleague, how do you format a heading in Word, which still no, don't know how to do 30 years after Word was launched. Um, so, uh, you know, employers are also shirking on that front. So. It is really remarkable seeing how people are using tools, working remotely, and they sort of really are on their own because 
you know, most people have not been trained to a tenth of the level of capability of the tools they've got. And that's not the only factor in productivity, but it's not insignificant um, that, that we've been discussing. Okay, thanks very much. Sandra, did you want to say anything? Just a couple of things, and then I've just got a question for the keynote speakers. Um, Nico spot on his observations, people moving around, you know, less less cost of rent and all of those things, absolutely. I think hybrid is the best thing to happen, so I don't agree with, with everyone tonight. Um, sadly, not all will be able to take advantage. We've recruited, we've trained, our business has done very well. We've had no issues during lockdown. We've been very, very lucky. Um, we've addressed underperformance. We've let people go because of underperformance. Uh, so, so, so we've been, we've done very well. Uh, I do agree that it's taken a knock on work-life balance, um, and I do think it's taken people a while to get used to it because I think there was that mindset of, "Gosh, I'm working from home. I better work twice as hard to make sure." And I better always be seen to be on Zoom or on calls so that you know people think I'm working. I think once we let go of that sort of need to prove we're working, I think things will settle down. Um, and and I had a note before Hillary mentioned it actually. Lockdown has increased mental health issues. Myself and two colleagues on different U.S. time zones have both been trained to be first aider uh, mental health, first aid mental health trainers um, to address this. And I think more companies need to be ready to address that. I think there's a huge anxiety and social anxiety about people coming back to work. And as Hillary said, is actually the people that want to stay at home, but where they may have to come in for meetings or, you know, there's this huge anxiety. And I think companies need to really up their game when it comes to, to mental health. Oh, sorry, my question. Very quickly. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, so in terms of, you know, you know, I was always told that it should, it's, to get ahead in life, it needs to be pie, performance image exposure. If you don't have that exposure and you're at home, how do the keynote speakers think promotional opportunities are going to work? And what if you happen to have one, one female at home and one male in the office? They both go for a job. He gets the job. Things like that are things that I keep me up worrying so i'd love to know what you think right thank you very much sandra right um para and hillary so para do you want to just come in with your final thoughts or pick up on things that people have said um i want to go back to that first contribution that chrissy made uh where he made the point i think rightly employees or workers sell their labor time to the employer not sell themselves to the employer and I fear the way we're going is very much um, selling ourselves to the employer. Uh, Peter Cheese, the CEO of CIPD, uh, was on air this morning where he was talking very much about employers needing to have a duty of care to employees. Now, duty of care for me is quite objective, that if, you know, safety at work, uh, if you're working with computers, have an eye test, uh, make sure, you know, safety meaning fire regulations, make sure you have a good desk and good chair. Uh, but clearly that duty of care currently has expanded into duty of care of people's personal lives. And I think uh, if that is going to be the trend, uh, that we are in a bit of trouble really. Um, and where we're going to have the employer playing the uh, role of being the nanny state. Um, so I think that is 
the last question that was about performance and you know uh, promotion and everything else I have got no easy answers but a lot of the discussion as you rightly point out do bring up those as uh, problems if you don't see the person uh, and don't work with the person properly how are you going you know and if you've got a choice of someone working from the office or from home you know inevitably you're going to choose the person that you've seen and uh, talk to one-to-one -one. so it's an interesting question um, um, that may have to look at uh, may have to think about um, lastly um, I just want to flag this up I mean we, as a final statement, I mean, we live very much in a world where everything is viewed from the standpoint of fear. And as a result, people want protection, safety. So I guess being in your home uh, makes people feel safe. I think what we have to be able to say to people is for decades now, uh, we've brought about much progress through collaboration uh, at work, uh, you know, togetherness, uh, and I think we have to say, we have to be courageous and recognize that risk taking can also have a positive outcome. Um, that would be, yeah, would be good to begin with that argument. Great, thank you. Hilary, your final thoughts? Uh, yes, um, I, th I think, um, just finishing off on employers really. So I, th I think there, there are some employers who are now making very bold claims which um, I, I not not convinced won't come back to bite them at some point. So, you know, certainly there are people employers now recruiting to positions saying this is a, a permanent work from home post forever. Um, and, and I do, you know, uh, worry that you know for, for those employers who are saying that either they're, they're not being entirely truthful, or I think they are going to realise at some point that just having remote workers does really have an impact on, on that whole creativity and those points that people were making about, um, you know, the, the, the way in which we, we drive um, uh, organisations forward. Uh, on the whole issues around you know, hybrid working, um, asynchronous working, um, uh, I, I think that, you know, to, to, to allow a return to the office, people are going to have to learn to return. Uh, and there's a lot of work for employers to do uh, to support that. Um, that's an investment that, you know, you, I, I think it's, it's going to be a bit of an up, uphill struggle to force employers to make or to persuade them to make. And, you know, some of the points people made earlier about training, I think, you know, certainly employers have for a long time been shirking their responsibilities, I would say, to, to train a new generation. Um, and, and, you know, this is... Uh, almost expose that a bit more not, rather than caused it. But I think it gives a, gives employers another excuse to kind of opt out of that investment uh, in the next generation. Um, how do we how do we turn things around? So I think somebody you know asked that earlier. How, how do we make the point that return is good? And I think that the real answer to that is by having better jobs and better industries and you know pushing forward productivity and making uh, new organisations and new businesses that really do uh, give people that confidence and, and belief in the ability that they can uh, make a better world, you know, and that you don't change the world from your, your bedroom. Uh, so I think that's the, the real answer. Um, uh, I can't see that happening shorter term. Uh, so I, I think shorter term, we have got to just 
argue for some of the things that people have already said about, you know, the fact that um, we, we do work better collectively. We do have uh, real social uh, a kind of need to be social animals and, and to interact with each other. Uh, and we can all gain from that. And, and it, you, you just cannot, certainly at the moment, recreate that online. Uh, so uh, I think we do have to uh, start having these discussions uh, more widely. Great. OK, thank you. I'd like to, if you could unmute yourselves and just give uh, a round of applause. Fantastic. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> right, that's enough of giddiness us now. <laughs> right, you're all back on mute. Thank you. <laughs> right. um, just, um, uh, just to reiterate, it does cost us money to pay staff to put these events on. So if you can support the Academy of Ideas, please do at academyofideas.org.uk forward slash support. Um, we've got um, the next event we're doing is uh, in. Um, on the 8th of July, next Thursday. Is that next Thursday? No, it's the week after. Anyway, um, which is uh, called um, from, oh no, I've got the title of the discussion here, um, which is about, um, from, it's called From Lions to the Commonwealth, about a global Britain in an age of, of travel bans. But it is about, you know, what happens to, um, you know, Britain's relationship with the Commonwealth and in particular because because of uh, the sponsors where we're, we're looking at the, this relationship with South Africa in um, in the light of these travel bans and the way those those countries that were seen as like the next big thing in terms of the world economy have really, really struggled and been particularly badly hit by uh, lockdowns in the West as well. So that's on the 8th of July. I also want to flag up the fact that we were due to be doing a Buckingham Battle of Ideas Festival as our first big um, a public event after the lockdown, which was all all premised on the idea that um, step four would come in on the 29th of June. Well, obviously that did not happen, um, and so um, we are um, so that the Buckingham Battle of Ideas. We decided on balance it wasn't going to be the correct kind of atmosphere at the University of Buckingham, given all the different restrictions. But we are going to do on the 31st of July, Saturday the 31st of July, is take some of the content from that and do a one day event called about education and freedom. I mean, it's obviously it's about issues within education, but actually they're all big issues in the wider world. Things like free speech, academic freedom, cancel culture. Um, we've got Tony Sewell, the author of the Sewell Report, talking about um, you know, racism and the effect of race in the, in the educational sphere, but obviously the Sewell Report went much further than that. So, that, so there's lots of, uh, to look out for. Please save the date, Saturday the 31st of July. Uh, full details of that are going to be going online in the next day, day or two at academyofideas.org.uk forward slash events.